Book Club from the sermon series God on Film, spoken by Pastor Douglas Cho. Happy Father's Day. Fathers, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for all that you do for your families. Uh, we love you, we respect you, we honor you. Uh, first things first, I have an update. I got married. It's been a month, right? We just got back on our honeymoon, uh, from our honeymoon, and we are still together, right? Doing something right. Uh, we went to Santorini. Um, yeah, that's us. But uh, we missed out on our church. We missed a lot of things. We missed the Beyond the Building celebration. We missed like all the stuff that was going on. So I felt a lot of FOMO, right? I had a lot of fear missing out there. Um, so we streamed the service. Uh, we took time to just try to be with you all. And we could just see, even through the stream, just how God was moving and he was active in our church. And it was just such a blessing. And um, we, we were so hyped about it that we even texted some friends who were there. We were like, fill out a rock for us. <laughs> Write our name on a rock, right? Because uh, we didn't know if we would be able to do the rock thing when we came back. Uh, figures that you can still do the rock thing uh, today. Uh, today is actually the last day that we are going to formally accept commitment cards uh, for the Beyond the Building campaign. So if that's something you're interested in doing, is if you want a rock with your name on it, please, uh, right outside those doubles doors, there's a welcoming table for you to just fill out, commit, whatnot. Please do that. The God on Film series that we're looking at is actually something I always look forward to during the summer because it's like a change-up. You know, you never know what's going to come at you. So last week, Pastor Mike Carrion, he unpacked the Avengers movie Infinity War for us, right? He kind of laid down this challenge to our church. He asked us, what would the church look like if the church was moving and acting as the church should? What would the church look like? How would the church function if the church was moving as it should. And he began to describe how socio-political factors and landscapes would shift and would change. Not because the church is being overly political or too involved, but only because the church belongs to God. And because the church is God's, things can't help but to change and move because God is moving. He describes to us a church that goes to the very gates of hell to set the captives free. Wow. And I remember sitting in service watching the trailer before the sermon. And you know, it's really epic, right? You see all these heroes come out, right? They're all getting ready for war. You see Thanos come out, this huge enemy, and they're dropping all these one-liners, and it's really dramatic. The music's really hyping you up. And then Pastor Mike's up here, and he lays down this call to cosmic battle to our church. He lays down a call to take up arms into this battle, right? And you can feel the church getting excited, you can feel everyone getting on fire for this call. And I got excited. And right then and there, as I sat in the congregation, I thought about the movie that was assigned to me during this series. <laughs> and I let out a real small sigh. 
Welcome to book club. We are leaving Thor. We are leaving Black Panther. We are leaving Wakanda. And I am introducing you to Vivian, Diane, Carol, and Sharon. You know, I, I, was talking to, I was talking to Peter when I saw this assignment. And I was like, dude, what am I going to do with this movie? He, he says to me, he goes, dude, it's going to be great. Jane Fonda's in it. <laughs> you know, Jane Fonda's 80? I was like, oh. Well, here we are. So we might as well pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, that we can laugh together. Thank you, Lord, that we can be a community that comes together, that lives life together, that can be known together, that can be in intimacy together, Lord. God, the credit is all due to you, all glory to you. Let this service be worshiped to you, God. Would you please make me your mouthpiece, Lord? Would your word be heard? Would your people receive? Holy Spirit, we invite you to come into this place to rest here, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So this movie, the basic premise of Book Club is that there are four women, right? There are four main characters, and these women are the best of friends. They have been friends for so long that they have been doing this book club together for 40 years, over 40 years. And the way it works is that they rotate each month choosing who picks the book. So this particular month, uh, it's Vivian's job, and she chooses Fifty Shades of Grey. Has anyone read Fifty Shades of Grey? There you go. Someone's honest, right? I know people have read Fifty Shades of Grey. And if you don't know what Fifty Shades of Grey is, I mean, it's about a woman having sex with a rich guy. And they do, like, a lot of stuff. <laughs> right? But it's, it was this cataclysmic novel because over 100 million people purchased it, read it, became movies. It's a trilogy. And this classic novel becomes the catalyst for our movie today. Because as they read this book, right, the movie becomes this four-part story where we see how these women want to reevaluate their sex lives. These women think that, oh man, there's something missing in my life. Something's missing. And as they go through this journey, they hit crisis, and then they reach resolution, right? There's a common thread going through each story, and it can be summed up in this line that's said throughout the movie. I have stopped living before I had stopped living. Reading the book awakens a dis dissatisfaction in the each of them. Uh, Sharon, who's played by Candace Bergen, uh, she's been divorced for 18 years, so she thinks it's too late for her to enter into a relationship. Carol, who's played by Mary Steenbergen, is 
struggling with her relationship with her husband. They can't get intimate with each other. Diane, and who's played by Diane Keaton, and her husband, um, they, they, they never loved each other through their marriage. And then her husband passed away recently. So she's scared to move on and be happy. Vivian, played by Jane Fonda, uh, her previous lover is in town. And she's really questioning if she really believes that only serving herself in her singleness is what will make her happy. I have stopped living before I had stopped living. When the movie ends, nothing happens. It's just four happy old couples. And the movie ends, right? So my thoughts, as I watched how the characters interacted with each other, as I watched all these relationships progress, and you, know, you had all the conflict and what was going on, I began to think naturally about the relationships in my life. My relationship with my new wife. And I got stuck on this. I, I really got stuck on this. Relationships are so important to God. Our relationships are so important to God. How do we see this? Three things. One, God is a triune God. He's three in one. He is built into community. The second is God is a creating God. God makes man in his image to be in relationship with him. And God is a reconciling and forgiving God. Right? Even though we fall away time and time again, he forgives us. His mercy is never ending. And he calls us back to be in relationship with him. Relationships are precious to God. So married people, oftentimes you're told your marriage is meant and exists to glorify God. Yes, this is true. And I pray that your marriage does do that. But if you get to the source of that desire, to the source of what that means, what that entails, we realize that all our relationships should glorify God. Every single one of them. Doesn't matter who you are, including the one with yourself, if not especially the one with yourself. And if not, then I'm sorry to say, you're probably doing your relationships wrong. We see that a great misconception about faith, about being a follower of Jesus Christ, about deepening and investing in your relationship with the Lord, is that as you deepen, as you invest, as you immerse in your relationship with God, simultaneously we put on a straitjacket. Simultaneously we lose our freedoms. Simultaneously we, we find that we are not allowed to live fully. A lot of people think that we stop living before we stop living when we commit to the Lord. That's a terrible lie. So we're going to go into what scripture has to say about that. We're reading from Galatians 5, 13 to 26. This is life by the Spirit. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. 
So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, so we live by the Spirit. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. This is the word of God. At first, it sounds like a list of do's and don'ts. I get it, right? At a quick glance, yeah, it is a list of do's and don'ts. But we see clearly here, Paul is writing this message to free people. He is writing this to a people who have experienced a freedom from Christ. See, the Galatians, the people that he was writing this to, they were actually struggling with finding the basis of their salvation and their relationship with Christ through the law. They were trying to obey more laws, right? And Paul is like, what are you doing? That's not what you're called to be doing. That is not the life that Christ called you to. That is not the purpose of your relationship with him. You are called to live in freedom. So throw these laws away. Metro, I hope you know that when you come into church, when you come into this sanctuary, you're called to come here in freedom. You should not feel stifled in this sanctuary. You should not feel restricted when you come here. You are called to live in freedom. When you hang out, you can hang out in freedom. When you go to a party, you can celebrate in freedom. But your freedom has a source, and your freedom has a purpose. Your freedom does not exist to serve you. It exists to serve each other. Your freedom exists to serve each other. Back to the movie, Carol, uh, she struggles throughout the whole movie with her husband, right? Because when she reads this book, she wants to reignite this crazy sex life with her husband. Right? Because they have not been being intimate for the past like six months. So she signs them up for all these activities to do together. She dresses up for him. She spikes his beer with Viagra. Right? And like they just can't get intimate no matter what she does. She fails over and over again. Right? Nothing works. And she gets so focused on this. She gets so focused on this topic. She actually fails to see that her newly retired husband is grieving his career. And it starts to drive them apart because they never talk about it. They never address this thing. Some of you couples in here 
need to address the way you communicate intimacy to each other. For example, I hate the word needy. I hate that word, right? Because we use it to describe someone who has needs, but it's just that those needs don't seem or sound reasonable to us. So we call them needy, right? But the truth of the matter is, if we really want to serve each other, needs should be something that concerns us, right? Needs are the basis of concern. And yes, there is compromise, there is dialogue, there is understanding, don't get me wrong. But communicating intimacy in a way that does not speak to your special person is like ordering a steak, right? Think about it. You're at a restaurant, you see the menu, you get that bone-in ribeye, you ask for a medium rare, right? You wait for it, it comes back sizzling, is well done. That steak is black as a slipper. You're looking at it, and there's no denying that this is a steak, right? The waiter looks at you and goes, there's your steak. But what do you do with that steak? You send it back. So why do we get offended when we try to communicate intimacy and they send it back? You gotta do it the way that they can receive it. Communicate your intimacy in a way that will serve your person, encourage your person, fill your person. See, a few days before I got married, um, Sonia and I, we were spending some alone time together, right? And it was great, like, we, I had my arm around her and we're talking and we do this thing where we ask each other questions, we kind of interview each other, right? And we're just doing that and she smiles at me and I'm smiling at her and then she goes, hey, I have a question. I'm like, yeah, what? And she goes, so what's one thing you'll miss a lot when we get married? And I was like, wow, that's a great question. See, you know, it got me thinking, and if you don't know me, I'm actually uh, like a really strong introvert, right? Because um, I, I, I need to be alone to rest and recharge. I, I get really grumpy when I'm with people for too long. So I think it's really cute and we're looking at each other, we're having this moment. And I'm like, you know, I'm gonna miss the access I have to alone time when we live together. And without missing a beat, she comes out my arm and she's like, so you'd rather be alone than spend time with me? <laughs> I don't know. It's like, you asked the question. So like, We're getting married. Right? It's hard. So we're in the middle of our honeymoon. And I'm kind of grouchy. Right? And uh, we go to this winery that she's really looking forward to. She had been looking to this, forward to this winery for a long time, yes, right? You get this wine tasting and this fantastic view, right? It's a beautiful time. And so we're pumped for it, right? We get there an hour and a half early because everywhere, everyone in Santorini is vying for position to see the sunset. Right? So we get there an hour and a half early, we get a seat on the edge, it's a front row seat, right? And the sun is just beating down <laughs> on my face. Right? And you know, I'm just like, whatever, whatever. I just need to make sure this woman gets the full experience, right? So we do the full tasting. We order some dishes, right? And the whole time I am like, tolerate it, tolerate it, tolerate it, tolerate it. She was like, she's like, I think you're burning. Are you hot? I'm like, no, tolerate it, tolerate it, tolerate it. 
right? It was hard. It was really hard sitting there. And it didn't help. Like, we went through all that wine. It was meh, right? The wine was meh. We ate the food, and then the food was like, uh, the food was okay, right? So I started to get annoyed. And then I started getting snappy at the waiter. And then Sonia got annoyed at me for getting snappy at the waiter. And then I got annoyed at her for being annoyed at me, <laughs> right? And then, like, at the, uh, towards the end of it, you know, we, I was like, you know what? Let's just force the picture. We forced the selfie, and then we went home to wash it. That's a fake smile, <laughs> all right? That is a fake smile. <laughs> we got back to our hotel, and, you know, we washed up. I came out of the bathroom, and she's lying in bed, and she's crying. I walked around, I said, what happened? We did, we did everything you wanted today. Today was your day. But she looked at me and she was so defeated. And before she said anything, I knew I had ruined something that she was really looking forward to. And yeah, maybe it wasn't that great, but I, I made it worse. I wasn't serving her, even though I did what she wanted. So how are you humbly serving one another today? Are you communicating intimacy in a way that they can receive it and be filled by it? Or is it just whatever's convenient for you? And if you're dating, I hope you take this seriously when you, when you consider um, entering into a relationship or navigating through one. Because honestly, I don't think there's anything called biblical dating, right? If you look at the Bible, there's no dating in the Bible, right? You either send your servant to give your future girl a nose ring or you sleep at your man's feet on the threshing floor. You know, there's, there's, there's no real dating in the Bible. But dating is a thing nowadays, right? Dating is a real thing and dating has evolved tremendously. We have access to a lot of people Right? They say there are millions of fish in the sea, and now the sea is the size of your phone. Right? I have a good friend of mine. He is on seven dating apps, and he uses all of them. He is talking to women all day. Homie's got game. He's just going. Seven dating apps. And I get it. We all have needs. We all have standards. We all have preferences. I understand. That is okay. That is okay to have, right? I was on online dating for a while too, right? On my profile, I put that I was 5'8", right? That's not funny. Why are you laughing? That's not funny. <laughs> I put that I was 5'8". And yes, I'm 5'7 and change, right? right? I am 5'7 and some change. And then I got matched with this girl whose profile said she was 5'8". But when we met up, I realized she was 5'8 and a lot of change, right? So when we met, I had to tilt my head like ever so slightly to make eye contact with her. But that is what dating is good for. Dating is good for that. But holistically, I do believe that all these needs, preferences, they can be summed up by this. Am I willing to serve this person humbly? for the rest of my life. Every need and preference, you can put into that statement. Am I willing to serve this person humbly for the rest of my life? Verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, 
and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. I need you to notice how this is phrased. You walk by the spirit and then you do not gratify the desires of the flesh. Right? This is not about rules. This is not about restrictions. You walk in the spirit first, and then naturally, the rest comes following. Right? It's the same with how Jesus teaches his disciples in John 14. If you love me, keep my commands. You love me first, and then you obey my commands. The love for Christ always comes first. Living by the Spirit comes first. It's not the reverse. See, Paul writes to the Galatians to surrender to the Spirit, to trust in this active and living Spirit, to no longer be bound by rule and regulation. Because if you are living by the Spirit, you will obey and follow and fulfill the law anyway because that is what the Spirit will lead you to do, except you will do it more completely. And then Paul lists the things of do's and don'ts, right? What living by the Spirit does look like, what living by the Spirit doesn't look like. The acts of the flesh, I believe that we can sum them up in the idea that they are all self-serving. They are things you can indulge in. You indulge in your debauchery. You marinate in your hatred and your jealousy. You get drunk in your anger. I believe in all of these things of the flesh, these things are all set to destroy God's community in one way or another. It's the reality of our world. We are bombarded with concepts every single day that teach us that you are allowed to have happiness the way you want it and when you want it. And when you get it, it will completely satisfy you. You will be happy. Right? There are even relationship types out there that exist to serve the self better. Open marriages. Right? You get married, but you can be intimate with people outside of your marriage as long as your spouse is okay with it. Open relationships, sex friends, one night stands. Serve the self, fulfill the self's desires, and you will be fulfilled. Heck, even masturbation. You know that depression after masturbation is a real thing? It happens. I wonder why. I believed in a lie that stemmed from all this. I believe that if women desired me and slept with me, I would be happy. I thought that maybe, maybe, just maybe, I could love myself if I could get enough people to love me. So I did it over and over again. And I'll tell you, during that time in my life, I felt like I had stopped living before I stopped living. I didn't know why. I had no idea. Because no one tells you, 
because it's an unpopular opinion. That when you give someone a piece of yourself, when you sleep with that person, it's really hard to get that piece back. That no matter how many times you shower, that person doesn't leave you. It destroys community. I have to battle hard against this. Probably till the day I die. So for those of you who are dating or pursuing a dating relationship, if you are living in step with the spirit, wait. You will wait for marriage before you have sex. Because if you're anything like me, when you enter into a relationship, when you're in one, you will naturally think, how close to the line can I get before I'm doing something wrong? Like, what are the things I can do? What are the things I can't do? Right? I, I get this a lot as the singles pastor. If we live together but don't do it, is that okay? I mean, come on. <laughs> You're just laying down more rules and regulations for your life. I'm not going to judge you if you live together. Fine. That's not my place to judge you. But if you're living by the Spirit, man, let me share something real quick that I learned real late because I'm real slow, right? <laughs> waiting is not a passive thing. It's an active waiting. It is not just refraining and staying holy until we can finally do it, right? It's not that kind of waiting. <laughs> waiting is sexy. Waiting is hot. Right, guys, let me tell you guys, waiting is not just manly, gentlemen. Waiting is godly. Right, let me give you some advice. When, when you are entering into a relationship with a woman, and you know, you're talking to the girl, and the topic of physical intimacy comes up, because it always comes up, tell her this. I will wait until we're married, because God called you his treasure, and I will guard you and your purity and honor you like you are his treasure. Mm. <laughs> I dare not put you in a situation where we will be tempted. Mm. Girl's gonna be like, he's living by the spirit. <laughs> Sexy. And you know, if you mess up, fine. There is grace, there is plenty of grace for you. Right? Just because you cross a line doesn't mean you can not come back because God allowed you to be in relationship with you. God wants to be. He would never cut you off that way. But think about it. I want to honor my woman that way. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Vivian played by Jane Fonda, uh, she boasts to her other friends because she believes she's happier than the rest of them because she decided not to get married, but to have flings and, you know, choose the men that she wants to be with. She thinks she's happier than them because she does not have to deal with all this marriage nonsense. Right? All of them are highly successful. All of them are very uh, lucrative in their careers. 
but she does come off as the most glamorous one until her old lover comes back into town. And she thinks she's fine without him. He proposed to her 40 years ago. She said no because she wants to live for herself. But seeing him shakes her foundations. She's just distraught. She's a mess when she sees this guy. And she ends up realizing that she missed out on love. She has a lack of joy. And she has no peace. Now, I'm not saying that reconnecting with an old flame is going to give you the fruit of the spirit. That is not what I'm saying. (laughs) Right? Because singles, for those of you who are single here today, you are more than capable of living a full, rich, and beautiful life. More than capable. Right? So on that note, if you have single friends, please do not ask them, why aren't you dating? Right? Don't ask them, how are you still single? Don't ask them that question. What are you supposed to say to that? I don't know. I have a bad hair day every day. (laughs) Don't ask them that. It's uncomfortable. Because that question comes from a place where we think marriage is the end game. Marriage was never the end game. I don't know how the church fell into this idea. Right? I was at seminary with a group. We were talking about my engagement. And there's this one guy. He says to this girl who's single, he's like, well, pray for your husband to come. Right? And he's like, right, Doug? And I was like, ah, I don't know. Like, who knows? Right? And he jokes at me. He's like, dude, why would you curse her like that? But I was like, who said singleness is a curse? Why does it have to be a curse? And I understand. If you're rolling your eyes at me, I get it. I totally get it. Right? Doug, you're recently married. You're talking about, like, how you messed up on your honeymoon. Fine. I understand that. Doug, you don't know what it's like to be my age and alone. Fine, I get that. That's true. I acknowledge that. And if I had a quick fix for you, I'd sell it to you, right? But here's the thing. I want to affirm three things. And if you can affirm the first two, if you can call them true, then I hope you can go with the third. One is that God loves you. God created you. God sealed his spirit inside of you. You are called to be free. Two is that he knows you. He knows the desires of your heart, and he desires your good. He desires your good in all the things of your life. Then by three, by walking in the Spirit, you are able to experience the full fruit of the Spirit and live a life that is richer than even some families. Can you trust in that? Or at least pray for that. I know it's hard. But singleness is not a curse. Trust in that. Fight that idea. Because your singleness may have a purpose. Some of us are living as though our life is on pause until we get married. And some of us live like our life hit pause when we got married. Some of us live like our life hit pause when we had kids. But all of us, every single person in this room, we are all called to live in and experience intimacy. This is freedom. See, this is where community comes into play. The movie 
has four different love relationships going on, right? They all blossom somehow towards the end of the movie. But ironically, the most beautiful relationship of them all in the movie is their friendship with each other when they support each other during their crisis. And the crux of the Galatians passage stands on how the law is fulfilled when you are truly living by the Spirit. Verse 14, one more time. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, you need a neighbor to fulfill this one, right? We are all designed to live in intimacy. If you are not living in intimacy, you are doing something wrong. If you are a lone wolf at church, you are doing church wrong. We are meant to be in community with each other. You are meant to be known. You are meant to be loved by each other. That is how we fight our fallen nature. By pursuing intimacy. And I get it, intimacy is hard. I know. It's hard, it's hard even to get plugged in. I get it. Right? And like, I, oh my gosh, I pray, I pray against the idea that you go, you enter into a small group and it's terrible. I get that. Intimacy can be hard. Right? And that's why like a lot of times we want to stick to a group that's similar to us. Right? We want people who are in the same life stages as us. We want people with the same cultural background as us. Probably because we think, oh, they can understand me better. They'll get me. Right? I get it. That's understandable. But let me tell you, diversity is hard regardless of what kind it is. And that's why a lot of churches don't pursue it. That is why a lot of churches don't pursue diversity. But let me tell you something. The real gift of being intentional and embracing diversity is that diversity will grow your capacity to love. When you immerse yourself in a diverse community, your capacity to love grows. It grows, how? Because you enable yourself to love the neighbor that does not look like you the neighbor that does not think like you, the neighbor that is in a different life stage than you. You grow your capacity to love. See, we are all part of God's body. And we are all called to receive something from each and every single member of it. Every member is important in God's family. No matter if they're older, younger, lighter skinned, darker skinned, more conservative, or too liberal, or even if they have special needs. Do not be so proud that you miss out on all of this because you think you can't relate. One of, if not the best, small group I've ever had was when two black women over 20 years older than myself accepted my offer to be part of a discipleship group. 